The Lord be with you. I have just returned from Houston, where we had, and I say very seriously, amazing meetings where persons encountered the love of God. And there are some meetings I will not quickly forget. But I want to share with you, as I promised, how do we live this life of hope? And I want to have you turn to Psalm 42, and um, I'm going to read most of the psalm because it's short, but also we've got to get a feel for what this fellow is saying as he writes the psalm. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. I pour out my soul within me. I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And then in verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night. Prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Potent psalm. Um, but let, let's, let's get a bit of context um, here is a man, obviously, that is in the midst of trouble, big-time trouble, and he is coming to, the, the psalm is a process of how he comes to a personal hope in God. You see, let's understand this, there is no formula for anything in our relationship with God. That, that's, that covers everything I've ever said to you. There is no formula. I cannot give you 10 steps to, because we are speaking of relationship, and relationship is not formula. Relationship is heart-to-heart. Relationship is spontaneous. But there are components to a relationship. And, and certainly there are components to hope, which is relationship. Um, and what is a component? Um, component is essential parts of something that is larger, a larger whole. Um, and, and that larger whole is hope, and it is the gift. It is the very person of God himself 
For that I cannot give a formula, but there are components, there are essential parts of that larger. Or could I say, there are ingredients that make up the life of the person who lives life inside God their hope. And so I want to look tonight at those components. And um, that is, look at the ingredients, look at the things that show up in a person's life who is living in hope of God. And because it's not a formula, because I begin at one point doesn't mean that's where you've got to say, oh, you know, check off one. No, this is, this is, let's get into it. You'll see what I mean. The writer, um, as you listen to me reading it, is obviously in extreme circumstances. Actually, he might have been a prisoner of war. Um, he refers to somewhere in his past when he had been a leader of some sort of choir in the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and he led them in praise and song. Um, but now he describes himself far north in the mountains that would today be Syria at the most northern, northern, northern Israel. And, and so the suggestion is that he has been captured in some sort of war or skirmish, captured from Judah, that's down there where Jerusalem is, and now he's being held in some northern mountain fastness, and he's alone, desperately alone, and he's writing this out of his aloneness and, and his fears. He aches to be back in his position of praise and worship leader in the temple in Jerusalem. But instead, here he is, and he's in captivity of some kind, and it looks like he's going to continue there. He's got no hope of ever getting out of it, and the very real possibility of death, because people in those days were very quick to kill. So, here is a man far from home. He is surrounded by mocking enemies. He mentioned that at least twice there, that they're saying to him, and the sneer is in their language, where is your God? He's obviously abandoned you. You're all alone. And they mock him. And he's separated from friends. And that, that's a nasty list of separations. He's separated from his home, separated from his friends, and his enemies are mocking him, and they say, obviously, you're separated from your God, or he would have rescued by now. And so he describes himself with, with words like he's cast down. He, he is, that means he's totally discouraged. He's, he's down in the darkness of his soul. He, he says he's in despair. He's disturbed. Uh, and he says that the, his soul is disturbed within him. It, it's a state of inner turmoil. Another point, he says he is, goes mourning all the day long like a man at his own funeral. And then he says that he weeps day and night. He can't even eat. I mean, this this poor fellow, he is in the pits. And I say again, looking at his circumstances, you could say the impossibility of changing them. 
Israel. So, here's a man whose heart has been pierced by cruel, vicious words and by captivity for which he probably has nothing to do with except he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. What, this is the point, what does a person need in that moment when when you are in a situation where you feel you have been separated from all that is beautiful, separated from friends, maybe in a strange land, surrounded by persons who are definitely not with you, and you've got questions because somewhere inside of you you're saying, where is God indeed? Where is God indeed? What, what does one do in, in a moment like this? What do I do in order to bring myself to sanity and clear thinking and come to hope? That, that's, that's, in fact, that's the reason this psalm was written. Now, when I say hope, uh, unless you've been listening from the very beginning of this mini-series, um, the word hope today has totally lost all its meaning. The, the word hope today, in fact, is the reverse of what the Bible means by hope. I, I could give a, a sort of extended definition of hope as it is in the Scripture. It is the consciousness. That's a, a big word in the definition. It's a consciousness, a realization, shall I say, of the presence, a presence that is actively with you, the active presence of the God who is hope. And he is with you clearing the fog, opening your eyes of understanding and of, yes, I'll say your imagination, your inner seeing of truth. And he being the source and the fuel and the implanting and the inspiration of hope within you which is a clear seeing of reality. And that hope, that clear seeing of God being with you and God being active in your life now, hope, that's what hope is, but you must, you must say that hope means you are expectant. You cannot talk about hope in the Bible without immediately using the word expectant. And maybe, as I said, I think last week, it might be good to drop the word hope for a while when reading the Bible and replace it with expectant, expectancy, because that's what it is. It isn't this stuff you hear of people who are in crisis and they say, well, we can only hope, which means it's the last thing we expect to see any good come out of this. But we hope. Well, no, that's not the meaning. That is not, and I mean it is the polar opposite. The word hope, this presence of the God of hope who clears our vision so that we can see that he is with us in this. And there is a good end to this. The word is expectant, and I mean tiptoe, children on Christmas morning expectant. Um, another word we would have to use here is certain, certain. There's no uncertainty in biblical hope. No, we are certain as we trust in the God of hope being present in our life. 
We are assured, here's another word, assured of his good intentions for us. His end, his goal that is in accord and consistent with his love intention for us. It's hope. And strange as it may be, I find that many believers have problem with that last sentence that God has good intentions for us. That's sad. I mean, I won't go there, but to think that you believe that in the God who is love, there may be bad intentions for us. I mean, now we say it out loud. Do you realize how stupid that sounds? That God loves you. He loves you to the extent that he gives to you Jesus who enters into our death and brings us to resurrection and then turns to us and said, I've got some bad news for you. We've got some bad intention. (laughs) No, no. He is united to us wherever we find ourselves. And every intention the love of God has for you is a good, good intention that that is in accord, consistent with his love for you. Whatever's, okay, put it this way. Nowhere in that psalm is this fellow um, even hinting that he believes that God is punishing him for some sin. He doesn't know what, but you know God. He's punishing you all the time for something. Now, that's not there. Of course it's not there. Uh, That's made up by religion. No, this is the real thing. God's not against you. He's not forever punishing you. He's not... God didn't create you and then recreate you in Jesus in order to be irritated with you for all eternity. That's ridiculous. He loves you with a passion. And he has joined you in every detail of life where his intention for you is always good and glorious. And so so we don't begin like half-believers Um, wondering, well, you know, deliver me from this if it be your will, but if you want to thrash me, I guess that's good. No, no, that's all religion. It's not Christianity. God is on our side. What does, he says in Romans 8, if God be for us, for us, I'm with you. I got your back, says God, with you. Yes, And, and, and so the very first thing of hope is to that realization um, that God is with us. And and when we have all this going on and these words thrown at us and the darkness coming upon us like this, we we can uh, forget that. Of course, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That is his very essence and being with us, in us. But we sometimes forget that. And so, in such circumstances, we realize. um, I grope for words here because I want to make it plain. You're not getting God back into the situation as if he left you down the road. He is with you, but we, we must be still. Be still in the midst of all the chaos going on around us. Be still. And realize or wake up, realize that this God 
has never left me. He's with me. He's the God of hope. He opens the psalm, recognizing this is the number one priority. And it opens with that very vivid picture as the deer pants after the water brooks. So my soul pants after you, O God. I was down at the creek at our ranch and uh, bursting through the underbrush there came this deer. I don't know, he seemed to be running from something and his sides were heaving and his eyes were popping in his head and he he was aiming for the water in the creek and, and at that moment he looked at me and decided he'd still got to have the water even if I was there and he plunged to drink it. And you you could see the the desperation. There was only one thing that deer needed right now, and that was water. And that's what this man is saying, that that I am desperate to realize. Wake up, O my soul, that this God who is with you, the life-giving presence. And so the number one priority in the life of the person who lives in the hope of God, the certainty of his presence is to be conscious, to be aware, alive, awake to that presence of God and to to know that his presence and his love presence is covenant. We have to understand that. Covenant is unchanging. Covenant, well, I just said it, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the God who cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He has given himself to us. That's that's covenant love, uh, as opposed to, well, you know, um, I I don't know if you're with me. I think you might be, um, and then maybe you'll show up which indicates you weren't here before, uh, all that sort of stuff. No, covenant love means I can rest in this. His very self is with me. There's no ambiguity about the God who comes to us in the face of Jesus Christ. It's relentless, unchanging, plain love. So put it this way, we, we do not hope in the midst of our circumstances, by accident. It's by intentional. It's choosing. I'm going to stop because right now I'm being bombarded by every thought you can imagine as he brings up almost every possibility in the psalm. Um, and, And I'm going to stop and I'm going to still myself to realize to realize what all these circumstances have tried to push out, I'm coming to realize he is with me. It's not by accident. Um, And I have to say that phrase again because I'm hearing it all over the place. God does not mysteriously show up because people always say that when when they use that word that they didn't expect it, you know, God showed up. Um, he, you know, he he's almost like a ghost. He just shows up. Don't know where he came from. Don't know why he showed up, but he showed up. And now we can talk about it because he's no longer here. I guess you know, you know, you've you've met those people, and 
I suppose if there's any showing up, we show up. We we come to our consciousness. We come to our realization. Uh, of we we realize our union with him. You know that you're, you're sitting there or whatever you're doing, listening to me speak, and in this same sec no same nanosecond simultaneously. He is now in you. I care not about your feelings. He is now in you. Now, in the midst of all the despair and the wailing and the panic and the anxiety, we stop. Be still. Be aware. Give total attention to. Realize the one in whom you live, you move, you have your being You understand me? He's in you through the Holy Spirit. Be present to him. And to do so, you can't be present to two beings. Um, If you're present to him, then you have, by so being, rejected the rule of your feelings with all their lying imaginations. Or to put it this way, do not allow feelings to run your life. That might be a new idea to some people. You realize you don't have to feel what you feel. That's a choice. Do not allow feelings to run your life. Do not be carried like a twig on the swift currents of the river of feelings. Okay, let, let me give you um, a couple of examples of what I mean. In Exodus 14, and I don't have the verse, it's a few verses down, but the they're standing at the Red Sea. Okay, do you remember the situation? They're standing at the Red Sea. There's no way forward. It's absolutely impossible. And on either side there are mountains. It isn't if they can scatter sideways. And behind them is an enraged pharaoh who is cursing himself for letting them go in the first place and has come to bring them back dead or alive. And at that point, the word of God to the people through Moses was stand, well, actually in my Bible, the New American Standard says stand by. And that is is a good, if you're going to use those words, that's good. Um, stand still is not enough. You can stand still like a scarecrow. Um, no, the the word means, okay, you got to get this. He said, stand by, and I'll use that for the moment, stand by and see the salvation of God. So here they are. And I mean, you can imagine the panic and the cries, and they're even crying to God and saying, you know, save us, save us. And, and the the answer that comes is, it's okay, I've got this. All you have to do is stand by and see what I'm going to do. Well, what does that expression, stand by, mean? It's, it's a beautiful, it's a rich expression. Uh, the first time it's used, uh, and this um, I'm using this to illustrate what the word means, Do you remember Miriam? She was Moses' sister. And do you remember when little Moses was born and 
the pharaoh of that day ordered the male babies to be massacred. And so the parents hid him. And then they came up with the bold plan of putting him into a basket and sending it off down the river Nile to where the princess, the pharaoh's daughter, would be going for a religious bathing. And here the plan was, as she goes for a very sacred moment to her, um, here comes a basket with a baby in it, and surely she's not going to reject it. That, that's the plan. But it's a daring plan. And as they put the little basket with Moses in it onto the River Nile, Miriam is told to run along the bank, um, hide herself, but watch what happens. You, you get the pic? Can you feel? And it tells us that as it came to where the princess was, that Miriam was standing still and as she stands still, she to see what would happen. Now, that's this word. It, it means every nerve in my body is alive. Something's happening. And something yet is going to happen that's bigger than what I see. And so she is, and this is part of the meaning of the word, she was present to the situation. She's not hanging out on the banks of the river to watch butterflies. She's present. Every, I say again, every nerve in her body is present to that basket that's floating down the Nile. And what is the princess going to do? She is watching. Every eye is open, you could put it that way. Every ear is open. She is, she's like a, a bowstring. Uh, she, she's completely involved in watching what is happening to her little brother. Something is happening, and she is a vital part of it, which involves just standing there to watch and to report. Um, so when you use this word, stand by, and, and see, it means to always to see what. Now it is. You're not just standing there to hum a tune and, you know, watch, but you, you are engaged and you are standing to see what will happen. You're, you're in, the, in the mode of what? Something's afoot. What would happen? You're expectant. And there's no doubt you are certain something's going to happen. So you, you're, and you're certain it, what, what will happen will be in, in the movement of the God of hope. So you stand. So you present yourself. Be present too. And you're expecting God's action. It's not exactly intervention because he's working all the time. But what, what's he doing in this situation that I now find myself? And my life seems to be as, as impossibly helpless as a little basket going down the Nile. And there's my baby in the basket. What is going to happen? I could go into despair or I could stand on tiptoe of expectancy. What is God going to do in this situation? And 
when we found that out, I'm present to what do you need me to do? Do you need me to do any? I, I'm available for he and I are one and we're in this together. Does that help? That's what I'm saying, that we, we I mean, your basket on the Nile, your being where you are, your aloneness, your impossible situation and all the things that are bombarding your brain, the feelings and the inner chatter that's going on. Stop. Be present. It's Stand on tiptoe. Expectant, certain, certain that in this situation that has got a million questions and a lot of impossibility attached to it, you're totally present to the God of hope. God who is your life. And see what he's about. What's up, Lord? What are you doing in this situation? When we say seek the Lord, it doesn't mean he's lost. It is is me to find out what what are you doing here? Let me be doing what you're doing. Let me be in sync with you. A- another expression that is in the Old Testament, but really it dominates the whole Bible. Um, I think we've talked about it somewhere back there. Maybe I'll talk about it again. It's in the Psalms over and over and over again. In fact, it's in all the Psalms that are the most favorite of persons. Um, the Lord is my. I'm sure you, you've heard this before. The Lord is my. And then fill in the blank. And so the one we know the most, the Lord is my shepherd. Or what about Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and my salvation. See, we, we know those psalms, and, and it seems to be connected with this phrase. Um, or turning the phrase around a bit in Psalm 3, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. You are my wraparound shield. Um, what, of course, the word Lord there, as I certainly have told you before, should be translated. It's the name of God given to Moses in Exodus 4. And when when asked his name, he said, my name is I Am. And, um, well, they they changed it to Lord, which to me is is terrible. But um, I Am, it's the name of God, I Am. Just I Am. And and that in itself is our hope. I Am. It's, we, we always like, who are you? I Am, an accountant, I Am, what a... But when God gives his name, he says, I am. And, and, and one's feeling is, I am, kind of what? Uh, just I am. It, it's, the, it's the word of absolute, unbounded, limitless, fullness, isness. And, and he's the one who is the A and the Z. He is the beginning and the end. He encompasses all of life and all its possibilities. I am. And when we extended, he said, I am that I am. We, as my situation unfolds, he is always, I am. I am always the ultimate enough. I am the boundless enoughness for all your not enoughs. I am filling all your I am nots. You know, that's how it goes. 
um, I am. I am is my. That is all that he is, that boundless God who is love. I am is, which means right now, because is does not allow for will be or someday or perhaps or I hope so. No, is throbs with this present moment. I am in this immediate present moment. My is my. Therefore, all that he is, is, is now inside of my. And I face this situation, I face it yet in another reality, not I. But it is Christ who is, I am, all that this situation requires. Now, that, that doesn't happen by chance. David does not sit up in bed and say, oh, look what happened. No, when he says, I am is my, and then fill in the blank. He says, my strength, my um, deliverer, my light, my whatever. He does that. It is he laying hold upon the God who is and holding him and participating in him who is. It's the intentional bringing of one's entire being into focus to realize the fullness of I am is now present inside me and therefore present in and to this situation. I, I, I wish... You know, we, we could stop now for about five or ten minutes and just let you do that to, to realize that word again. I'm trying to find a better word, but, you know, it is so. I, I, I is, at this very moment, I am, is, inside of me, my And notice that in the Psalms where that phrase occurs, um, the the right David who's writing it there, always in a similar situation to Psalm 42, overwhelming pressure that is shouting at you, you're not enough. You, you can't handle this. This is going nowhere. And everything else that goes with it. It's overwhelming pressure. But always David begins those psalms with this statement. That is, he hurls it into the face of the circumstance. I am is my. I'm not alone here. I am not fighting this all by myself. I am is my. Or back to Miriam. I am standing here on tiptoe. He is with me. He is in me. Where do we go from here? It shall be a good end that arises from his love. And so David begins the psalm. Whatever I'm going to tell you in this psalm, he says, is over against this final reality. I'm not alone. And he's not just beside me. 
He's inside of me, so he's entwined into my, my personal essence. You know, do, do you realize that's not just believing vaguely in God? And that's where many people, you know, in, in the day of trouble, they suddenly sort of send up God-sounding words. They sort of believe there's a God. And, of course, God loves you. So he many times uses that to make himself known to you. But what we're talking about is a life that's lived there. And, and this isn't just believing in God. It isn't just doing a daily quiet time and trying to obey God, because you can still have the sense of separation there. No, this... Have you got it? This is my. He couldn't be more so. I am, is my. So that my thoughts about this and, and where we're going with this are now entwined with I am. It's a seamless union. It's simultaneous. I'm not trying to get him over here. I'm not trying to say that maybe next week. No, is now. You say, well, that would be wonderful. How do I get there? Oh, bless your heart. You're too late. <laughs> You're there. It says in, what is it, 1 Corinthians one thirty that God put you there. It's religion that tells us to struggle to get there. Of course, their very existence depends on your struggle. That's what they live for. That's their oxygen. Keep you struggling. No, the mess, The good news is that God put you in Christ. Christ came into you. You don't have to get there, but rather in wonder you realize is my. I am there. Miriam is standing on the bank and she is in all that God is doing right there, and he is in her, is my. It's where I am, in him. And, and so we're realizing the union in this moment. Do you realize that right at this moment? No, it's not when you get your Bible over there and start praying or doing. No, right now, just where you're sitting, right now, in the middle of traffic, right now, where you are. Right now, where, where your feelings are washing like black tar through your head, right now, be present to him who is limitlessly present to you. And it is all by God's gift. So you don't earn it. You don't try to get there. You just take a breath and say, thanks be to God. I'm here. And, and, and that's, that's the goal. Um, do you realize we are speaking of the greatest personal energy force in the cosmos? That personal being his personal, by which I mean I'm not talking about an impersonal energy. I mean the personal throbbing energy of God who is love, who is right now in you. Yield to him. That's stop struggle and just relax back into his arms. And your flesh has a fit. 
because that means I, my wannabe self, is no longer struggling to make anything happen. I am relaxed into him. You see, despair, anxiety are the result of being present to the situation and imagining the victory of evil. That is imagination used against yourself. Despair, anxiety are the result of in your imagination being present to a doom to the worst possible end. An imagination in which you see yourself as I'm not able, I am alone. You realize that's what it is. Anxiety is forming pictures in your spirit of your life without any presence of God. Well, you can't imagine or think in those pictures two things at the same time. So that's why the Scripture says, take your place. Intentional. Take your place. Be present to the person you really are. A true human that you are who is in Jesus Christ and he is in you. And of course your terrified flesh who thinks it's now out of a job, which it is, will say, yes, but, you know, you know that, that's, a, you know, yes, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians, we believe everything you've just said, but... And whenever you say or hear, yes, but, that means everything I said before but doesn't count. It's what I say after but that counts. Yeah. So, yes, I believe all of that, but now we get the truth. You don't believe a word of it. You know what I mean? This is a matter of sinking into fact and ignoring every yes, but, and realize this is the only truth. So it's standing. I mean, whether it's Miriam on the banks of the Nile, whether it's those Israelites who uh, they can see is Pharaoh advancing toward them and the Red Sea in front of them, or David in his many different situations, or this chap in Psalm 42 standing there wherever he was facing the terrible situation. Um stand. We we want to do something. You'll never do anything more dramatic and more life-changing than to cease from action and just be, realize, I am in I am. He dwells in me, his arms are around me, and that's where I stand. And his uh, action for me is to a good end. Though I can't even see it right now, but I declare it. This is not a frantic action of the flesh. You know, this, this man here is not saying, I will not think like this. I promise I will not. I will stop feeling like this. No, you won't. Every time you say that, you've just thought it. When you say, I will not think this, your thought has twins. Um, 
I used to tell people in retreats when we talked about this, I, I said, oh, during this retreat, I forbid you to think about red monkeys. Well, of course, no one was thinking about red monkeys until I said that. Then it was a subject to the retreat. <laughs> um, no, the moment you say, I will not think it, you are plunging into thinking it. No, we don't try to stop thinking thoughts. We don't try to stop having feelings. Just turn our attention somewhere else to he who is our true center, he who is the true world in which we live, to the truth, to the lover with us and the lover in us, and he is now. And the thoughts lose their energy, and the feelings subside just because I've turned my attention to the truth. You don't try to hope. You participate in him who is hope. Uh, last week, um, I used an illustration, and it caused quite a stir, uh, as it did the first time I used it on our retreat. Um, so let me very quickly throw it out again, crossing the street, a busy street, cars and trucks and buses and, and the little girl who is terrified looking out on the street she has no idea how to navigate her way across the street and then she puts her hand in her daddy's hand and she trusts him she still has no idea how they're getting across the street but they know but she knows in daddy's hand I'm safe in daddy's hand, we shall reach a good conclusion. So trusting daddy means she actually participates in daddy's faith and knowledge and wisdom and purpose and plans. Today, that poor little girl is told, be strong, be courageous for your dad. You walk out. Or what's the other one? Try and be like your dad. Yeah. What would your dad do? Yeah. Dedicate yourself to cross the street for dad. Now, that's all the stupid stuff. No, it doesn't say that. Just trust in him. Put your hand in his hand. That's trust. And, and what we're talking about in the last minutes is realize your hand is in his hand. You, you've forgotten it for a minute, didn't you? You're, and as you trust him, the Holy Spirit gives you his faith and you participate in his faith. That's the way it is. We, we, we trust in his, his hand, it's done. Um, and then some of you might be concerned about that because you say, well, we've got to, got to have faith. And, well, is that your side? Do you mean this salvation that we're in, that we live day after day? Is it a 50-50 thing where he did some of it and you do the most important? Because whatever he did, so so this appears from what I hear, your 50% of faith is the real, that's what it's really about. Because if you don't have your faith, well, then it doesn't work, does it? So Jesus doesn't save you, your faith saved you. Oh, how sick. It is finished, said Jesus. He said that. It's not one-third finished waiting for our contribution to bring it to conclusion. We trust him. He's the one. He finished it. He gets us across the street. We 
just abandon all of our thoughts, all hope in ourselves, and we trust in his hope, and we participate in his faith. Ephesians 2 says, faith is the gift of God. Of course it is, because otherwise it would be you and him who saved you. Oh, he saved you. Oh, come, relax. You are loved. He's for you. He gives to us a salvation that comprehends everything, including the faith. Well, the the neat thing this psalm does is take us from there. The man realizes the presence of God, but then, in light of that, he turns and talks, maybe you could even say preach or prophesies, to himself. See, if you don't talk to yourself, your broken self will talk to you. And that's where all the trouble is. No, he, we don't have time to read it again, but you'll remember he does it more than once. He turns to his self, who's in this state of chaos, and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Now, he's talking directly to himself. And talking to himself, he is telling himself that there is no logic in his self, in its darkness and despair. No, The lie that Satan infused into the human race, which became at home in our flesh, it's not logical. It really is not logical. He says, why are you cast down? Why? You see, he's saying there's no logic there. If, if this God of hope dwells in you, and if this God of hope is therefore in this situation and is working to his good end, there's no logic in crying out and being the, the, the voice of the darkness in despair and disturbed. No, why? You, you think about it. If he is for you, what on earth are you doing acting as if he's against you? No logic. You are worried and full of anxiety in the presence of the God who said he has given himself to you and supplies our needs. Do you, do you remember in Matthew 6, and Jesus is saying, um, your, your anxiety and what should we eat and what should we put on and where should we live? And, and he says, after all these things, the people outside of the knowledge of the covenant, that's where they live. But he said, for you? And what does he say? He said, Father knows. <laughs> yeah. He knows, which means if he knows, I can relax. And he does know. He knows you. He loves you. You're like a little baby in the nursery. And, and, and you're all concerned as to where is the milk coming from and how. Relax. Mother knows. There's no logic to your screaming for help because you are surrounded by help, undergirded by help. You understand? Do you remember Lamentations 3, um, where, where Jeremiah is in, in a state of extreme 
despair concerning the state of Jerusalem. And, and then he says, but then I remembered. Ah, I see. He hooks her. He says, your, your, your loving kindness is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And everything changes because he turns his attention and then talks to himself and says, his loving kindness is new every morning. Don't you remember? His loving kindness, is his faithfulness never lets you down. See, you could say Philippians 4 too is doing this, where he says there that, that um, you know, I've learned the secret, that whatever situation I find myself in, that, that he's all I need, and I am self-sufficient in his self-sufficiency. That they are talking to themselves. Well, really what we said about is my... I am is mine. David is actually talking to himself about that, right? I am is mine. Who's he talking to? He is agreeing with God who is I am is mine, but he's telling himself that is so. I hope you talk to yourself. Otherwise, self will run all over you. No. We, we rest down into... His opinion of us. And one definition of opinion, remember we talked about it before, the glory of God. The glory of God is His opinion. That's the meaning of the word glory. His opinion of you. You are His precious. You, you, you are His treasure. He... he, he he gives his son for us, which means he equates us with his son. He loves you as he loves Jesus. That's, that's his opinion. But another meaning of the word opinion is imagination. Because an opinion of somebody is held in our imagination. It is said that his imagination of you is so incredible and he calls us to join him and see ourselves as he sees us. That you at this moment, you see, that's the lie behind all anxiety, that I don't see myself as God sees me. I see myself as on my own. Well, in God's opinion, he's entwined with you. I am is my, right? My. I am is entwined with my. Um, that, that's how God sees you. If I could speak of God's imagination, that's that he sees you. And, and don't you dare contradict him by saying, yes, but. He sees you entwined with him. Now, hold his hand and join, participate in his imagination concerning you. See yourself. It's you that's in this situation, yet not you. It's he in you, yet... You get it? It's you, but not me. I live, or could I say, I'm in this situation, up to my earlobes. I'm in it, yet not I. It is Christ who is in it, in me. We're entwined. And therein is our hope. Your, your flesh is very reluctant to let go of despair. That's the truth. 
I mean this. The flesh, your feelings, are very reluctant to let go of despair. If you, in the middle of the situation I'm talking about, if you, if you realize the peace of God, oh, I'm at peace. My flesh rises up in a sort of rage because then the pity party feast that it was in the middle of has been taken away. You, you're not a victim anymore and you can't say you're a victim because he's in you and you're in his solution to this. And so exit all pity parties and exit all that you put on sackcloth and ashes, poor victim. It's all over. And my flesh rages at that. Have you ever noticed that you kind of like being the center of a situation? Because then it's poor you, poor me, poor me, poor me. Well, I'm saying that's over. Hope means that I rest into Christ my life. And it's no longer poor me. It's where are we going with this? The, the flesh... This illogical thing that was crucified with Christ and still is a wannabe you accepts and enjoys the misery of every situation. Hang around the water fountain in the office and hear how people are wallowing in their misery and in some sick way are enjoying it. Or... Go to some areas, I'll not even mention them, where you, you are rated by how many times you've had surgery um, and your life expectancy according to the doctor and how many pills you're taking. I, my pills are more than your pills. Really? Uh, supposing you were healed, you'd have nothing to talk about. You get my myth? And how many times do we say, and you've got to listen to yourself to hear, my problem. I've ident identified myself with problem. Hope identifies with I am as my. Are you, are you saying that you are intentionally identifying and saying that problem is mine? No, fling it away. He, I am, is my. And that means the problem is on its way out. It means the misery is replaced by the peace of God and the joy of the Lord, which makes me an oddball in this sicko world. Well, I, I could keep going, but I think I've really done what I said I would do. And um, I, I'm going to leave it there. But my leaving it there is it's beginning with you. You might have to listen to this more than once um, because we are so stuck in almost enjoying the despair. And that is because when the answer is given, we balk at it. It's, it's weird. But here is God's answer. He's the God of hope. And the God of hope fills you with joy and peace in believing, says Romans 15. And this man, and I've got to quickly say this, it doesn't happen just 
over, you know, I say, oh, that, then that's the way it is. It will come back. Did you notice how many times he has to go back and say to himself, why are you in despair? It's more than once. And apparently he's not ashamed of doing that because he wrote a public psalm and put in there that more than once he had to come back. Um, and that is true of all of life. We stand into this totally new way of life with a totally new outlook on life. And as we do so, um, we're, we're like a, a baby learning to walk. We're unsteady because we've never lived here before. And we might, you know, fall over. Well, that's okay. He's on your side. You didn't displease God. Same way as uh, your, your little baby walking. No one talks about the baby falling over. Everyone says they took his first step. Uh, and they don't say that <laughs> ended in falling over. They're ecstatic. He took his first step. Do you think God is any different? So, yes, I might see this and and, and live in it. And, and then uh, the old stuff comes nibbling back in about 15, 20 minutes. Well, stop in that moment and say, are you nuts? Talk to your sicko self. Are you nuts? He's my hope. He's my life. And keep learn how to walk. And live in this finished triumph. That, that, that's what we're doing. Um, and, and, and so I, I'm going to leave it at that. Because I believe that we're in that position where we are in the fullness of God. The fullness of God is in us. It is so. We, we have spent a lot of our life expecting of the lie. Now... We recognize that whole thing was crucified with Christ. From here on out, get out of your bed every day, put your feet on the floor, and declare this a new day of hope, certainty, assuredness in He who is the God of hope. Another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing encompass you, clothe you, grant you the opening of inner eyes to see the truth and to walk in the truth as you are in him and he is in you. So I bless you and so your life is and shall be. That is the way it is.